And Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be, Luke chapter 7. And once you find it, go ahead and stand in honor of reading of the scripture here today, Luke chapter 7. Um, had a great time with a number of men, I think about 20, 20 to 25 guys went down to Men's Advance in Oklahoma this weekend at the church that we used to minister there in, in Stillwater. And uh, we'll hear some of those testimonies. I want to encourage you men to be in the service tonight. We're here, we'll hear some testimonies from the men that want to give those in the service this evening. Make sure you're here for that. That'll be a blessing to you, I think. And uh, we got a number of us got back after midnight. And so for the rest of you that didn't go, just get your elbows ready. And so... If you see nodding, you know, use it as an excuse. And for you wives, your husband may not have gone. You just want to get him in the ribs. That's okay too, you know. Just kind of wake him up, jolt him awake this morning and uh, keep us accountable. But just engage. And I think God will bless us with this text that we've got this morning. Um, when you've been forgiven of much, you can't help but love much. And, and I don't always give you up front where I'm getting to, but that's where I'm getting to today. When you've been forgiven of much, you can't help but love much. And that's what a woman here in Luke 7 is feeling. And so I want to read this passage and get an idea of what's going maybe through her mind. Beginning in verse 36, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And it says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. This is talking about Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees, Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man... If he were a prophet, I know the scoffing is not in the scripture, but you know he's thinking it. <laughs> or whatever. <clears throat> if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. You know, his tone inside is, <laughs> But then Jesus talks to him and says, oh, master, yes, say on. We can do that. We've got an internal voice saying one thing and an external voice saying another in a different tone. Master, say on. There was a certain creditor, Jesus says, which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto, said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. 
And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. What a passage. What a story. And the truth is, when you've been forgiven of much, you can't help but love much. And that's what this woman is feeling. But sometimes saying I love you doesn't feel like enough. Sometimes saying I love you doesn't convey. I mean, because isn't it true that the word love has lost some of its force and meaning in our culture? Now, the truth is, when you really want to express love, it will be revealed in what you do, not just in what you say. And I want to look at that thought this morning. I think it'll be a help to us. Let's pray and ask God to meet with us this morning. Father, we know that you are here. We know that you've made a promise to meet with your people when they gather and that you'll be in our midst. But God, I pray that we don't, if that's the case and we believe your word, then we don't want to waste an opportunity while you're here. And I think that many of us can get so used to the idea of church. We get so used to being in services. We have done it so many times that we forget that we don't come for each other and we don't come for the music and we don't come for the fellowship and we don't come to serve. We come to meet with you. And I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that this morning. I pray then that as you're meeting with us that you would speak to hearts and do a special work in us today. We love you and pray that you would bless this time, bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think this would describe all of us. Have you ever had somebody do something so special for you that you, you had no words to express your gratitude? Somebody did something special. Most of us have, have probably felt that at certain times in our lives. And I think about times even in my own life recently, even right here at Eastside Baptist Church. And last fall, the Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and, and, and you just poured out your love to us in a special way. And, and I still can't get over that. Uh, I think about the, even just this winter, we had men from the church. I'm just I'm giving you examples through Eastside, but men of the church got together and found out our, wood, our pellet stove wasn't working and they got together and took up some money and bought us, our family, a new pellet stove and, and we're going to use it as long as we can this year, by the way. Um, it's been a, just a blessing to our family. I mean, and you know, you've, you've at times re, I, you receive thoughtful gifts and people do that for you and they do that for me. You get at times handwritten notes or, or just a text out of the blue or, or especially in when somebody really invests in your children. It means a lot to you. It means a lot that somebody would go out of their way. And, and when those things happen, sometimes I love you doesn't seem like enough. When our 13-year-old Lacey, when she was little, she was a very affectionate and, and she was, I mean, just always wanting to express her love for her dad. And, and she's the kind that, you know, I'll just find random, random notes everywhere sometimes. And, you know, I'll, it'll be in a drawer. I don't know the last time I checked the drawer, but she's written a note saying, I love you, daddy. You're the best daddy in the whole world with a bunch of exclamation points and hearts and unicorns and all of those things, you know. So it's probably when she was from when she was like six and and I just didn't check that drawer for a while. But still, I find it. 
And she leaves me notes and she leaves me these little things. And when she was little, she was just really affectionate. And she would crawl up in my lap or come and hug me. And, and she didn't want to just say, I love you. And she would say, Daddy, you're, you're so handsome. Just can't, you're so handsome. Like, almost mad about it. That's how handsome you are, Daddy. I want to convey to you. Well, in her mind, just saying, I love you, wasn't enough. She wanted to really tell me. And her default is, Daddy, you're handsome. And, and I'll take that any day. I mean, she doesn't tell me that anymore. But, you know, sometimes I love you is not enough. And she wanted to express it more tangibly. And, and I really believe that's what's happening in, in the life of this woman. This, uh, this, the, there are people in this story, there's two kinds of people. There are those that are invited into the Pharisee's home and those that aren't. And, and one of them that's invited is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus into his house, which seems strange enough because the Pharisees, they were the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and there's lots of tension right now between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ. Because the Pharisees, they taught external religion and external law. And you've got to keep the law and you've got to keep the rules. And, and it's a burden. And if, if you don't, you know, God will judge you and, and it'll be hard. And, and yet Jesus came along and on Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching um, internal relationships. He's, he's preaching internal righteousness. And it's not just all in an act. It is what you are in your heart that matters to God. And there's tension, though, because of it. Because they've had control over the religious system for a while. And Jesus came along and he was eroding the foundation. He was kind of taking over their kingdom. He was hurting their sales in some ways. In Luke 6, just a chapter before this, the Bible says they were filled, filled with madness because Jesus had the audacity to heal a man on the Sabbath day of his, rithered, of his withered hand. They wanted to destroy him. They were just crazy, insane, coming after him, plotting to kill him. But here's Simon, a Pharisee, and he invites the Lord into his house. And you think, why in the world would he do that? Maybe he was just curious and he'd heard of the healings and he'd heard, he's heard of Jesus and he wanted to see him up close. Maybe it's entrapment. It could be a setup because they did that. We know they would ask Jesus a question and, and try to get him to answer in a way that they could twist his words. Maybe he was just trying to build his own reputation and he wanted to bring somebody popular into his home because at this time there are people following Jesus, multitudes following Jesus everywhere he goes. Whatever his reason, we can be assured of this, that Simon's motives are not correct. He's a Pharisee and, and we know that. I'm not just judging based on that, uh, what I think. I'm judging based on how he treats Jesus when Jesus comes into his home. That Simon's motives aren't correct, whatever it was, and I don't know his heart, but, but Jesus knows his heart, and yet Jesus accepts his invitation. Uh, the Lord wants to come and, and meet, and so Jesus is invited, but then somebody uninvited comes along. This woman, who the Bible says, behold, verse 37, a woman in the city which was a sinner... When she heard or knew that Jesus said it meet in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet. So there's this sinful woman. The Bible says she was known as a sinner. 
And, and you can fill in the gaps. I'm sure that you can understand what that means. That, that, that means that her reputation was poor. She was very likely a prostitute. Or in those days they would have been, um, the Bible word is often a, a harlot. She would have been a woman of the street. She was a woman of ill repute. She had a bad testimony. And she comes into Simon's house too. And you say, well, how could that happen? I can't believe that she would walk into his home. But, but, but the fact that she, as a stranger, would come into his house was not all that strange in those days. Because those that were well-to-do or the rich, the rich folks, they would have a home that would be built around an open courtyard in the, in the, in the shape of a square. And, and when there was a large gathering or a party um, or a meal, it was common when there was good weather for them to eat in the courtyard. And that courtyard would have been exposed then to the street. And at times, a well-known rabbi or teacher would come into the home um, and, and there would be a, an, a meal that was planned, but it was allowable for the uninvited then to come in and just watch what's going on. It was reality TV back in the old days, you know? They come in and, and they're just in the background. It's a square and the, and the people that are eating are sitting around the middle and the uninvited would come in and they would stand around the back walls and just listen to the, this is creepy, it's weird. They would just stand there and listen. Can you imagine if that still happened? You got pot roast on Sunday, you invite friends over, you open the door and just random people just come and just sit there, you know, like the Wasson boys before church, you know, just like, <laughs> we're security, you better not mess around out here in the foyer. There's watching and listening and observing and, and it was allowable they were free to enter the house and listen. What was outside the box, though, was the kind of woman that walked in the, in the room. Right. See, this is a woman of, reputation, of a bad reputation, and, and here's Simon, a Pharisee, and he would, have never, he would have never approved of somebody like her walking into his house. And I just want to say I admire her. Listen, I know that she hasn't done right. I know that her life is a mess and it's out of control. But understand, she wants to see Jesus so bad that she doesn't really care what other people think about her. She won't let a small excuse stop her from coming in to see Jesus. And I just want to point that out. Listen, if you love the Lord and you want to meet with him bad enough... There are no excuses good enough. Like you don't have to use an excuse of getting out of bed in the morning. If you want to meet Jesus bad enough, you'll get out of bed and you'll meet with Jesus. And on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, if you want to meet with Jesus bad enough, there won't be an excuse that keeps you out of his house. Don't, I mean, here's a woman who had, she would have in culture had no right to come see Jesus, but she said, no, I'm gonna go see her. I'm determined, and if you can imagine her walking past those looks of judgment and those looks of disdain, and she walks right past them into the room because Jesus was that important to her. And she comes in with this, the Bible says, an alabaster box of ointment, and it was a small jar of perfume, and, and it would have been very valuable, and it was a common custom for the Jewish ladies, the women, to wear this jar around their neck. It meant a lot, for, a lot to them. The perfume was precious and it was costly. And in order to release the ointment, by my understanding, you'd have to break the neck of the bottle to release it. So once you use it, you don't use it again. 
You can't run down to the store and get another bottle of perfume. I mean, you, you, you use it once and it's done. And this woman is standing, she comes into the room and everyone's watching slowly as she walks in. And she goes to where Jesus is and she stands at his feet. You say, well, what do you mean she stands at his feet? Well, um, in those days, they wouldn't have eaten at a table sitting up. It would have been a low-lying table and they would have been laying, leaning on their left arm on a cushion or a couch and eating with their right hand and their feet would have been away from the table. And I've got a mic on. I'm not going to do, do this today because it looked weird on the live stream anyway. But he's laying, so he's leaning and he's eating with his right hand. His feet are away from the table toward the outside wall. So when she comes in and stands at his feet, that's what it means when it says that. So she's standing there, and it's kind of awkward. I mean, this unwelcome woman comes into Simon's house, and instead of sitting against the outer wall, she has the nerve then to come where the meal is being served and stand right by Jesus' feet, and she's weeping. She's crying. There's so many tears flowing from her eyes it said I'll read verse 38 and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears that's a lot of tears I mean tears are coming down her face and and just coming and just I mean just keep on coming and so she kneels down remember he's laying toward the table his feet are this way and the tears are coming down so she kneels down at his feet and she takes her hair which would have been up and in another no-no, culturally, she lets her hair down. And she bends over his feet and she cries so that the tears are going down onto his feet. And she takes her hair and she starts cleaning the feet of her Savior. The tears in her hair, if you can imagine how the mud would have started to gather. I mean, it's, it's, it's likely, you know, that, that it's a dirty, a dusty environment, and, and she's wiping his feet. Understand, it was common courtesy in those days when you would walk into the home of a, of a host that they would wash your feet. It was their job as the host. The streets were dirty and their sandals were very minimal. And so to, to show her humility, she's cleaning his feet and creating mud. I mean, it's turning, you've got to think it's turning into mud with her tears and the dirt and her hair. And it's muddy and it's a mess. And not only is she cleaning it, then she begins to kiss his feet. And you say, this is just getting weird. No, it's a different culture. In those days, it, this would have been an exception, but it would not have been out of the norm or out of the ordinary completely when there's a, a high-ranking official or somebody very important for someone to kiss your, their feet. Now, typically, when you walk into the home of a host, you would get a kiss on the cheek. That's what you do. That was the greeting, like a handshake. And, and I'm just, I'm just want to say, I'm thankful we don't do that. Some of your beards don't look inviting, guys. We would have like, you know, we, when we were doing social distancing, we have like long sticks with lips on the ends, like six feet long. We'll just do that, I guess. I went to France one time. They do that at churches in France. I mean, you go, I mean, walk around and, I mean, on both cheeks. 
And there was this older guy, and he came around to my wife like four times. And I'm not lying. I was about to find some cheese and throw it at him. Like, what are you doing? You know, I'm glad they, we don't do that anymore. But it, culturally, it's not. I mean, that's part of the culture. It was a sign of the ultimate humility to kiss somebody's feet. So she also then anoints his feet with ointment. And, he, and, and it was common in that day to give sweet-smelling olive oil to your guests as they come in. And imagine, it's dusty streets, and, and they're walking in, and the wind's been blowing. And to give them some sweet-smelling olive oil, um, they would take the olive oil, and they would put it in their hair to kind of keep their hair down. And it would be like freshening up for you and I. It was just, just a part of the, the culture. And this woman, she didn't have olive oil, which would have been cheap. And it would have been easy to get. No, she took that vial of expensive, valuable ointment, perfume, and she broke it and she poured that on the Lord's feet. She didn't, not on his head, on his feet. This is significant. And this small container of ointment was valuable to her. She couldn't use it again after breaking it. And this woman, listen, had displayed in no uncertain terms that she dearly loves and reverences the Lord to the point of sacrifice. And there's a pious response, though. Because Simon responds like we would expect a a Pharisee to in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet... Would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And he concludes two things. Number one, he concludes Jesus is not a prophet. And two, um, he, if, if he doesn't know what sort of woman this is, then he's not who he says he is. And so this reflects that pharisaical attitude. You know, that, that there was great judgment from the Pharisees. They were condescending toward those that didn't keep their rules and, and didn't follow their, their ordinances. And the word Pharisee actually comes from a Hebrew word which means to be separated. And they felt that they were to strive at all times to be separated from the wicked sinners, the common people around them. And they felt that the common person would make them unclean. A Pharisee would never allow a sinner like this woman to touch him. And he assumes that Jesus would never allow it if he knew who this woman was. So he concludes that Jesus can't be who he says he is. He's saying he's no prophet if he can't discern who this woman is that's touching him. Simon, though, was in for a surprise because in verse 40, Jesus shows that he does have a little bit of discernment. Verse 40, he says, Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Isn't it interesting? Uh, Maybe you've done this where you think something in your head and the person you were just thinking about says, well, I've got something to say to you. It's like, oh, did they hear that? Did I say it out loud? Because I wasn't meaning to. You know, it happens with my wife and I. She's not here there in Oklahoma today. So I was, never mind, I'm not going to talk about that because she'll probably go back and listen and call me out on it. So, okay. Jesus says, I have something something to say to you too. And Simon responds, oh, master, say on. And Jesus gives him a parable. And he talks about this creditor and there was this certain creditor which had two debtors and the one owed 500 pence and the other 50 and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? 
Now, this is not a complicated concept. Um, debtor number one, so there's a, 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 there are two debtors, and one of the debtors um, owes 500 pence, okay? Um, that was impressive, Brother Bob. I'm sorry, I just got to say something about it. Yeah, so 500 pence, five, if you think about a pence is a, a day's wage, essentially. So 500 pence, that's a year and a half of wages, so you got one guy that owes 500 pence, and you've got another guy that owes 50 pence, and if it's a day wage, then you're talking about a month and a half or almost two months of wages, and you've got both of these guys that owe, and, and there's no trick question here. He says, okay, Jesus says, okay, Simon, so let's say that the creditor cancels both of their debt. So neither could pay. And the word frankly means the creditor freely forgave or he forgave with no strings attached. He just wrote the whole thing off. And it's a simple concept. Simon, who's going to love him, the creditor, more? Who's going to say, well, I, I appreciate this the most. Do you think that the guy that owes 50 or the guy that owes 500 is going to be more thankful? I mean, again, there's not a trick question. Which one do you think Loves him the most. 50 or 500. Ready? Tell me. One, two, three. 500. Okay? If you said 50, I was not trying to trick you. Okay? The guy that doesn't have to pay back 50 days of wages, that's a big deal. Okay? That's a month and a half or almost two months of work. It's a big deal. But for this guy over here, 500 days, I don't know if you could ever pay that back. You know, it's simple. The guy that had the largest debt forgiven is going to be the most grateful. That's just part of it. And, and by the way, and this isn't part of, this, uh, of the main application, but I have to say this today. There are some people that say, well, you know, you Baptists, you know, you think that Jesus forgives you of all of your sin. And what that does is it gives you license to just go out there and sin and do whatever you want to. You got nothing to worry about. That seems pretty cheap to me no I want you to catch the message that we're talking about today we believe in eternal security okay we believe that once you're saved you're always saved if you are genuinely saved that is forever you have eternal life and so for those that say well if you believe that you're just saved and you can go sin and do whatever you want you're not going to be as committed to Jesus no the opposite is actually true because if you believe that Jesus can forgive you of all your sin, these verses say you're going to love him more. That he would take my sin, all of it, and wipe it all away forever makes me think, man, that's a God I want to serve. I don't want to displease him. I don't want to go out and sin and do whatever I want because he's a God that did something really great for me. Now, if he'd only said, I'll forgive you for today's for today's sins, and that's it, I might be tempted to say, well, if that's all you got, I'm just going to go do something else. But that's not our God. I mean, just, this is a simple concept. I mean, if, let's just say that you're, we got, you're walking into the church with one of your friends, and, and you're, maybe you're headed to the kitchen with some stuff you bought for the kitchen, and one of you is carrying a loaf of bread. And one of you is carrying a 40-pound bag of flour. Brother Samuel is sitting in his office playing music, whatever, you know, music directors do. He's a youth pastor too, so watching YouTube, whatever they do. 
He sees you coming in, you and your friend, and he runs out to meet you, which this is something Brother Samuel does. He does this kind of stuff, and I'm thankful. He goes out to meet you and says, oh, hey, can I help you? And you're carrying a 40-pound bag of flour, and your friend's carrying a, bag, a loaf of bread. And you both say, sure, you can help. And so Samuel takes the loaf of bread and says, okay, gotcha, and he goes inside. What? Your friend, your friend will be thankful, I guess. But it wouldn't, they wouldn't be nearly as thankful as you would be if Samuel would take the burden of a 40-pound bag of flour off of your shoulders. And that's the idea that we're dealing with today. You're talking about 500 or 50, and it's an easy answer. And Simon knew the answer. The Lord asks him, which of them is going to love me the most? Simon, he's smart. See, he probably brought Jesus to trap Jesus, but now he knows he's asked a question that's probably going to trap him. And he's like, well, oh, this is a tough one. Mm, I, I suppose, that's what he says. I mean, I don't know if that's what he's doing, but that's how I'm imagining it, and I'm preaching. So, you know, I can just, he's like, I don't know. I mean, I suppose the guy that he forgave the most, maybe. That's, kind of, that's what he says. I mean, this is absolutely simple. There's one answer. Everybody knows the answer. But Simon doesn't want to admit the answer. Jesus then reveals the whole heart of the matter. Look at verse 44. He says, you're right, verse 43, verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. So he looks at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, Simon. Thou gavest me no water. You're supposed to, Simon, you're supposed to wash my feet. That's the custom. But when I came into your house, you gave me no water. But she said, but he says, um, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. He says, thou gavest me no kiss. You're supposed to kiss your guests once on the cheek. I mean, that's how it works. This is our culture. You kiss your guests when you come in. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. You wouldn't kiss my cheek. She's kissing my feet. He says, my head with oil thou didst not anoint. You gave me no olive oil to kind of freshen up with and put in my hair. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. He doesn't say oil, he says ointment. She has broken this valuable vial of ointment and poured it on my feet and you didn't even give me any olive oil. And he says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And Jesus contrasts this woman with Simon in this attitude. There's a stark contrast between the two. See, Simon had shown very little or maybe no evidence of love to the Lord during this meal. But this woman had braved the stairs and the cold reception to kneel at the feet of the Lord in humility and wash those feet with tears and wipe those tears with, with her hair and creating mud and getting down in the dirt and the dirty grime and anointing his feet with precious ointment while Simon sits over there without bothering to even greet Jesus. 
And Jesus declares that this woman, this great sinner with this bad reputation has been forgiven. And don't miss the context. See, Jesus is not saying, because she loved me so much, that she's forgiven. He's not saying, because she washed my feet with her hair, and because she poured perfume on my feet, that's why she's forgiven. No, what he's saying is, because she's been forgiven of so much, then that's why she has loved me and done these things. See, this is the point of the, whole, of the story of the debtors. See, first the creditor forgave the debt, and then the debtor loved him greatly. And the Lord is saying, listen, the Lord is saying that this woman who has been such a sinner has given evidence before everybody today that her sins, which are so many, are forgiven. And you see, at some point, I believe this woman had heard Jesus teach or preach that he came not for the righteous, but for sinners to repentance. And she had recognized her great sinfulness before God and how she'd broken his law time and time again. And she knew about his mercy. And, that, and she knew that even though she was destined for eternal hell, that because of her wickedness, but by faith, Christ had stepped in and by faith she'd repented of her sin and placed her faith in Jesus and been forgiven of the forgiveness that only he could offer. And even though her sin was great, he had forgiven all of it. So she finds out where he is and she has to go to him. And she puts that bottle of ointment around her neck and she marches right past the Pharisee's courtyard, past all the self-righteous stairs and stops at the feet of her Savior. But as she stands there, she's overwhelmed with sorrow and overcome with emotion because her past sin is flooding her heart. And she knows she's a sinner, but she also thinks that Jesus said, I'll forgive you if you place my, your faith in me. So she's not really sure where she stands. And while at the same time, there's profound gratitude for the knowledge of forgiveness she still feels guilty about her past she's not sure and her heart is so full of love though and adoration for the one who has opened her eyes that she can't help but burst into tears and wipe his feet with her hair and as she kneels at the feet of her lord the tears fall on the skin and with no regard for who's watching she loosens her hair as if to cut loose then of all the ties of her past, I wouldn't be surprised if that valuable bottle of ointment was given to her by a client. And she breaks it, offers it to Jesus and says, I'm done with my past and I'm moving forward today. And it's the, listen, it's the least she can do to give all that she has because of her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. Listen, what a picture. And it emphasizes this truth. The greater the forgiveness, the greater the love. The greater the forgiveness, the greater the love. Listen, when she heard these words, uh, thy sins which are many are forgiven, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. I believe God, Christ was assuring her. Yes, it's true. Faith is all you need. Your sins have been forgiven. You can go in peace. Maybe she'd been converted in a crowd. I don't know. Maybe she'd been converted in a crowd and just needed a personalized declaration from the Lord. She was the debtor. Listen, she was the debtor who owed 500, but she'd forget, been forgiven out of it all. 
And yet here is Simon who still sits at the table with Jesus and he's the debtor who only owes 50. And in his mind, he's thinking, I'm not bad enough to need forgiveness. I'm not bad enough that I have to come and humble myself before the Lord. I'm doing just fine. And what Jesus tells him, oh, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And what he's saying is, Simon, the fact that your sins have not been forgiven has been evidenced in the fact that you've shown me no love in your home today. You've You've not given me water for my feet. You didn't even greet me. You've done nothing to reveal love to me. And the point that I would like to make today is this. If there's been no forgiveness, there won't be evidence of love in your life. There won't be evidence. And and so I start by saying, have you been forgiven of your sins? I I mean, our theme is love works. and, And we're asking people to put their love for Christ to work. Put effort to their love and reveal and show and prove their love. But maybe in your life you say, I've never been forgiven. I don't know that I've placed my faith in Jesus. I don't know that if I died today that I'd be forgiven. And listen, it doesn't matter if you only owe 50 or you owe 500. The Bible says none of us have anything to pay. And the worst sinner among us couldn't pay for it, but the best person among us couldn't either. And maybe you've grown up in church and, and, and you've not really gotten into a lot of bad things in your life, but I'm telling you this, you still don't have enough to pay for your sins. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And listen, the man with one sin in his life and the man with 500 sins in his life, they both stand guilty before God. James said, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. You are either guilty or you're innocent and one makes you guilty. Listen, none of us have enough to pay for our sins, but Jesus paid for all of it. And his payment on the cross can take care of the person with 500 or the person with 50 or the person with one or the person with a million. It doesn't matter. He paid for all of it. We are all in the same position before Christ. And if you grew up on the streets or you grew up in the Christian home, it doesn't matter. You still require the same payment of Jesus Christ's blood. And today you can place your faith in Jesus Christ and you can be forgiven of your sins. Listen, you should do that today. When the invitation comes, you should not wait at your seat. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what you should do. Is that you should get that settled because tomorrow's not guaranteed. You don't want to die and not know Christ. Take care of it today. But that's not everybody in the room. There are some, I believe, in the room that need to place their faith in Jesus today. But there's a whole nother group of people. I know that's terrible grammar. Whole nother group of people in here. God's people, Christians, who've placed their faith in Christ. My question to you is, where's the evidence of your love? If you've been forgiven of much, you should love much. Listen, when you walk in the doors of Eastside Baptist Church on Sundays and Wednesdays, you should think of nothing more than I get to praise the one who gave himself for me. There should be no reason for you not to engage in the hymns and not to lift your voice and your heart in praise to the Lord. Because if you've been forgiven of much, you have a lot to love. 
You should, it should be revealed in the way that you serve, in the way that you come in, in the way that you interact with people, in your willingness to get involved in ministry, in your willingness to come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. There should be like this woman, there should be nothing that prevents you from coming to meet with Jesus. If you've been forgiven of a lot, and we all have, I mean, everybody, the, even the best among us would say, man, I don't deserve to be in heaven. I, I, I could never have earned it. But he gave it to me. And all I had to do was place my faith in him. And so when I come to church, nothing's going to keep me back from singing with all my heart. And nothing is going to keep me from worshiping. Nothing is going to keep me from giving. Nothing is going to keep me from Jesus. And yet how many things keep us from Jesus? My point today is if you've been forgiven of much, where's the evidence of love in your life? Because Jesus says if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. Simon sat there self-righteous. No works of love. And I wonder if that is a picture of some in this room today. Saying, I'm not too bad. I know, the, I know the jargon. I know how to make this work. I've done this long enough. But in that, also in that mindset means that there are no works of love showing in your life. And I hope today that if you get nothing else, it'll be this, that you have a new appreciation for the forgiveness you've received. When's the last time that you got on your knees before God and said, I mean, God, I, I've been in, I've gotten a lot of blessings, but none are greater than forgiveness. When's the last time that, that you truly poured your heart out to God and said, thank you? When's the last time that you said, God, I didn't grow up in a terrible home, but I still had nothing left to pay. Thank you. I mean, what excuses are you using to not reveal your love to him. I mean, where have you been on Wednesday nights? I mean, what about Sunday school? Where are you serving? Where are you faithfully giving your time and your attention and your details and your love and your, your talents to the Lord? In what areas are you contributing? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, if you've been forgiven much, it, you won't be able to help it. It's like, I've been forgiven of a lot. I want to be involved in a lot. I want to do a lot. This woman, she broke that ointment. She broke that perfume and she gave everything. And here's what she was thinking. If If Jesus would do this for me, I'll do anything for him. And if Jesus has done anything for you, and he has, what are you doing to reveal your love to him in return? That's where we're at today, folks. It's not about a guilt trip. It is about you loving God because of what he's done for you. I really believe that's the heart of worship. It's the heart of serving. It's the heart of singing. It's the heart of fellowship is that we do what we do because God has done everything for us. It's easy evidence or easy application today. Listen, if there's very little evidence of love in your life, it could be that you've lost sight of how much you've been forgiven. An experience of forgiveness can't help but become an expression of love. An experience of forgiveness 
can't help but become an expression of love. So I'm a question again. Where's the evidence of love in your life? If there's no evidence, it may be that you haven't been forgiven. And if that's the case, you can be forgiven today. It could be that, grown, that you've grown so used to the idea that he forgave you that you don't even stop to thank him anymore. And church is suffering. Your, your worship is suffering. Serving has suffered. You've just kind of forgotten. Well, maybe today's the day to come back and tell him thank you again. It's time to remember we had nothing to pay and Jesus paid it all. An experience of forgiveness can't help but become an expression of love. And if you've been forgiven, are you proving it with your love? Let's stand together.